Hi, and welcome to Ask Wardy. I'm Wardy, a wife and mom of three, lead teacher, blogger, and founder of traditionalcookingschool.com. I'm also the author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fermenting Foods. Ask Wardy is the weekly show devoted to answering your niggling questions about traditional cooking. Maybe it's your sourdough starter, your sauerkraut, preserving foods, broth, superfoods, or anything else to do with traditional cooking. You can catch Ask Wardy live each Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, that's 1 p.m. Eastern, or through the podcast and video replays at askwardy.tv. And now, let's get to today's show. Hi there, everyone. I'm Wardy, and welcome to Ask Wardy, the weekly podcast where I answer your questions about traditional cooking. We are in the middle of a great series on home grain milling, and this is part three of that series. I've got an example here to show you. These are homemade sourdough einkorn chapatis. Today's topic really is taking fresh ground flour and baking with it. Um, how do you know how much flour to use? How much to grind? How do you sub in recipes that don't call for fresh ground flour? Kind of all the usage questions around grinding your own flour. That's what we're tackling in today's topic. The complete transcript is available for you at askwardy.tv. Just look for episode 99 because I'm going to share a lot of information today, answer a lot of questions, and you can find everything typed up there for you and find all the links. Like I'm going to give you links to converters and links to mills and links to additional resources. So you can find all that at askwardy.tv. Okay, let's get into it. So today's topic really is about baking with fresh ground flour. Here's the issue, store-bought flour and fresh ground flour are not the same. This is because if you have um, flour that settles, it might be sitting in a bag on a store shelf, or even if you milled it last week or the week before, the flour settles. So if you were to scoop a cup of that versus a cup of freshly milled flour, you would find that there's a lot more flour by weight in the one cup that's already been milled and has settled over time. So one cup in a recipe, which one works? Well, if the recipe is written for store-bought flour that is settled, you're not gonna get the same results if you use fresh milled and don't make an adjustment and vice versa. So they are not the same and you wanna know how to go into your kitchen and confidently um, know how to um, evaluate what to do and how to sub and how to make adjustments. Now, in previous episodes of this series, I, we've talked about the basics of milling your own fresh grown flowers. So that's episode, or that's part one, really. AskWardy.tv, look for episode 97. I've also talked about gluten-free milling, so I'm not going to cover those. I'll, we, we, I might refer you to those. I might mention those, but there's going to be more information on those um, in those parts. Really, what we're going to tackle today is using that fresh ground flour in your baking in your kitchen. Okay, because it's really important how to account for fresh ground flour in your recipes. So we're gonna just tackle questions one at a time. A couple weeks back, I asked for your questions on home grain milling, milling got tons of replies, more than 200 at this point, and they're, I'm gonna read them as they apply to the questions we cover today, okay? So Lori Neverman, you know her from Common Sense Homesteading, she says, how about adjusting recipes that typically use pre-milled or pre-milled flour, meaning it's been milled a while back. So basically the question is, how do you make adjustments? What adjustments do you make when baking with fresh ground flour instead of store-bought? Okay, I alluded to the issue already with this because pound for fat pound, fresh ground flour is gonna take up more space than flour that is not freshly ground because 
as when flowers milled, it settles over time, so it'll start taking up less space, okay? So you may weigh out a pound of each, but one of them's gonna take up less space, and that's the flower that was ground previously. I'm gonna give you an actual example of this and prove it to you today. We'll get to that in a moment. So um, if your recipe, there's a couple kinds of recipes, okay? And forget about the fact that some are whole grain, some are white flour, but we're gonna talk about measuring. Okay, so some recipes are written with volumes. That is like cups. They might say two cups of flour, two and a half cups of flour. So if you've got a recipe that's written with um, cups and it's not written for fresh ground flour, which most recipes aren't, it would specify it, it, it is, then because um, your fresh ground flour is loftier and lighter and less of it fills that one cup, then you need to expect to use more of your fresh ground flour than uh, flour which is not fresh ground. And usually, we're talking volumes here, two tablespoons per cup is about right. So if, you're, if the recipe is regular flour and it says you need two cups, then your fresh ground flour, you're gonna use two cups plus two tablespoons for each cup. So two cups and four tablespoons. That's just a starting point. As you know, when you're baking, humidity and elevation and all that comes into play. So um, as you may know, when you're baking, you kind of have to like know what a muffin batter looks like, know what the cake batter is supposed to be and adjust as needed. Same thing happens with this, but I'm just giving you a general rule. Okay, now the other way to deal with recipes or the other way that people do recipes is in weights, so grams, okay? And so if you've got a recipe that calls for unsifted flour and it's grams and you're using fresh ground flour, you simply weigh out your grams and pretty much follow the recipe. Um, again, we're talking about general substitutions here, white to whole wheat. You know, you may have denser and need to use less of your whole wheat, but if you're just doing flour equivalents and one is store-bought settled and the other is fresh ground, then if you're weighing out grams, it's the same. So grams is a, going by recipes that have weights is awesome when making adjustments. And I'll just mention really quick here that we do use weights in our einkorn baking e-course and our einkorn baking ebook and video package. Um, and we also include them in our fundamentals resources. So uh, weights really is the way to go for you know getting over that learning curve. Okay, um, I do want you to refer to the print materials here, askwardy.tv episode 99, because I went through some different scenarios here for making substitutions that I'm not gonna say out loud, but it'll give you some formulas to follow when subbing. And I also want you to keep in mind what you're baking because it's not always just as simple as, okay, they're calling for white flour, I'm gonna use whole wheat flour or einkorn flour. Because if it's a pastry that needs to be really light, you may not get the same lightness. You might get the right amount of flour, but you might not get the right lightness if you're subbing whole grain. So that's why we're also gonna talk about sifting coming up, but I just want you to keep that in mind, that the type of recipe is a factor, and also, like I mentioned before, elevation and humidity, that all comes into play. So while we have general formulas, there is some, um, some playing around that's necessary, and that's not a bad thing, because you learn so much, okay? Another factor is hotter temperatures make for um, runnier batters, especially if you're incorporating something like sourdough, because the organisms in the sourdough starter produce more, uh, they do produce liquid as they sour the dough. And so if the temperature is hotter, they work faster. So you may have more liquid in your dough than in the winter. So those are seasonal adjustments you have to make that are beyond just subbing the flour, okay?
Um, dry climates, flour's more dry, sucks up more water, so you could start out with less flour or you could increase the liquid. That's what happens in dry climates. So thanks for your question, Lori. I hope that was helpful, just the general formulas there. Next question comes from Helen, who points out, it's sometimes hard to grind um, exactly how much you need. Helen, that's a great, um, great point to make. It really relates to this question, how do I know how much flour I need to grind? I'm gonna help you with some simple tips here. So professional bakers uh, go by weights. We were talking about this earlier. So if a recipe calls for 100 grams of flour, um, then they know they can just grind 100 grams of grain because the weight does not change whether it's the grain to the flour. 100 grams is 100 grams, okay? So they can weigh exactly, they can weigh out in, um, weigh out the berries, the grain, however much they need, run it through the grinder and they have the right amount of flour. Volume though, recipes that are written for volume, cups, those do change though. So here's a general formula for you. Um, different grains are gonna vary this slightly, but generally a half cup of, a half cup of the grain, and I've got einkorn here, will yield about one cup of flour. So if your recipe calls for two cups of flour, then you know a starting point would be one cup of grain to grind. Um, now, I do have a, um, it, could, it could come up, maybe it's a recipe that's in cups and you like to work in weights, so you may have to do some converting. So I've got a link for you with this video on a converter that I find very helpful. Uh, it doesn't have all the different specialty grains that we use, so you just gotta find the closest one and you can do a cup to grams conversion. Uh, I also want to encourage all of you that in addition to mastering just the metrics of how much grain to grind, I want to encourage you to just get on this thing that actually I'm getting on as well, and that's the idea of milling on demand. We've talked in a previous episode how fresh grown flour is more frugal and it's healthier. Sorry, fresh, fresh ground flour, yes, is more frugal. It's healthier. If you're Grinding as you need, the grain is easier to store than the flour. Uh, it tastes better, it's not rancid. There's so many reasons to love um, using fresh ground flour. And with mills like the mock mill that I'm gonna demonstrate today, it is not never easier to do this because you literally turn it on, put your grain through, and on demand, you've got flour that you can incorporate into your recipes. It has a low profile. It looks really attractive on your counter. I also have here the KitchenAid attachment um, just to show you hooking it up to a KitchenAid. So, it, you know, where your KitchenAid's beautiful. So if it's out, you can have the grain mill right on it. Um, and I've got a picture to show you from Jade and Julie Coyle. They're the owners of Ancient Grains LLC where we get our favorite einkorn. Um, it's so cool, this picture, because Julie has taken milling on demand, so she has the right amount of fresh ground flour for her recipes to a whole new level. So she's got one of those counters that has a step up, and she puts her grain mill, if you can see that, on the counter, and she puts her mixer below, and she uses a boss mixer, which is my favorite mixer as well, um, and she literally grinds the grain right into the mixing bowl of the Bosch. And she does a little bit at a time, works it in, grinds some more. She knows how much she's gonna put in, and so she just works that in. She also goes by like the feel of the dough as she's working it in. And so, like I said, she takes it to a whole nother level of milling on demand. It's so cool. She cuts down on um, having to have extra flour around. She, she's able to achieve 
the dough that she wants because she's working in a little flour at a time and she saves the step of having a separate bowl because she's putting the flour right into the mixing bowl so she doesn't have a separate container to wash or keep track of so pretty awesome Julie thanks for that tip I love it I'm gonna take a moment now before I move on to the next question um, and I'm gonna just actually demonstrate to you these mill, this mill, and I'm gonna show you the difference in weight between fresh ground and um, um, flour that has settled, okay? So first, let me mill some here. And I've shown you how the mill works in a couple episodes already, but let's do it again. So I've got it, the mock mill, which is my favorite mill, I'll address that at the end, set to the finest setting. Now turn it on. All right. So there's some fresh ground flour. And I want to show you, remember how I was talking about how um, store-bought flour or even flour that you grind last week or the week before settles over time? I want to show you that you can take the same volume but get really different weights, just to illustrate this point. So, I have a quarter cup here, and this is flour that I ground just last week, okay? So, it, and it's been in the freezer, so it even hasn't, you know, it hasn't been sitting on a store shelf for like five to 12 months, okay? And I got a quarter cup here, and I've got my scale, which, if you're interested in this scale, there is a link for you at the show notes. It's a fantastic kitchen scale. We use it a lot, okay? Um, oh, I turned it on. I'm going to tear the um, quarter cup measure, take it out of the factors, okay? And now I'm going to get a quarter cup, and I'm just dipping in, and I'm just going to shake off um, the top to make it pretty level, okay? And set it on there, and it comes out to 29 grams, okay? Put that back. Now I'll do the same things with some of this flour that I just ground. And remember, this is just a quarter cup. I'm using the same kind of method to grab flour here, about the same amount. Just shake it off and measure it. And it's 24 grams. So you see, I had a quarter cup of each, but the, this one has settled just since last week so that one, a quarter cup contained 29 grams of flour. This one is just fresh ground, so it's lighter and loftier, less flour to fill up the quarter cup, and it's 24 grams. So if you're doing, and this is just a quarter cup, that kind of a difference. So if you're doing recipes where you've got like a cup of flour or two cups of flour, three cups, four cups, you can see that the um, differences really add up. So what can you take away from this example? Number one, um, you could just start doing recipes in weights and it only takes a couple times till you get your feet wet and you start you know, figuring that out. Two, just make an adjustment when you have fresh ground flour and know that there's more fresh ground flour is gonna be needed for the recipes than flour that has settled. And again, it's about two tablespoons per cup, okay? So pretty significant, huh? Just in a quarter cup. So we're gonna go on with some of these questions that have to do with baking with fresh ground flour. I love that Rebecca S. brought up the issue of traditional food preparation methods. She says, I'm full of questions, 
soaking grains for flour. Do I do it after grinding? Do I let the batter sit? Do I leave out the leavening? This is a great question, Rebecca. So you should absolutely use the traditional food prep methods that we talk about a lot here. Um, soaking, sprouting, and fermenting. The reason is, is that they prepare grains, whatever you're doing, if they're gluten-free or with gluten, for best digestion because anti-nutrients that are present in grains are still present in the flour, and so that's why we advocate for soaking, sprouting, or fermenting, even if using fresh ground flour. And so here's how it works for each method. And these are typed up for you at askwardy.tv, episode 99, if you wanna bookmark it or hit the PDF button and generate yourself a transcript. So soaking, this is how it works. You mill the flour, you use the flour in your recipe, but only with the liquid and the acid and let that sour for seven to eight hours or overnight. Then you add the rest of the ingredients like the leavenings and the flavorings and whatnot, and then you bake. Okay, so the flour has soaked with acid in a liquid to kind of distribute that for seven to eight hours or overnight to prepare it for best digestion. Sprouting is where you take the whole grains, we just ground some, and you um, soak them in water overnight to kind of plump them up, let them sprout, then you dry them fully, then you mill them into flour. And then let's say this is sprouted flour, which I'm gonna show you next week on Ask Wardy. This sprouted flour can then be used instantly in your baking. No soaking, no souring required because the sprouting is already taken care of preparing it for digestion. That's the sprouting scenario. The final scenario is sourdough, where you grind your flour right here. You combine your flour with liquid and your sourdough starter. Your sourdough starter is that um, culture of beneficial bacteria and yeasts that do even more than soaking does to prepare your grains for digestion. They also produce a nice sour flavor. They introduce vinegar that preserves. Anyway, there's, I'll, I'll stop talking about the benefits of sourdough, uh, but you combine your flour with your starter and liquid, let it ferment five, six, seven, eight hours, 12 hours, 24, depending on the recipe. Then you add your other ingredients, not more flour, in a true sourdough recipe, but you add your other ingredients like your leavenings and salt and flavors and whatnot. And then you would either do another rise if it's bread or you would um, bake if it's another recipe, okay? That's how traditional food prep methods work with fresh ground flour. I brought up a thing just a minute ago when I was talking about true sourdough. I said true, so what do I mean by true? Well, what I mean by true is that all of the flour has had sufficient warmth and um, incorporation with the sourdough starter to be best prepared for nutrition and digestion. We're not adding more flour later. We're not souring for only a short time. We're getting the full benefit of sourdough, and it's called, that's what I call true sourdough. With this episode, there's a link to an Ask Wardy where I answered this question. Like I think it came in as, um, is store-bought sourdough true sourdough? Uh, the, the main answer here is no. And our recipes that you'll find here and in any of our publications are true sourdough. The entirety of the flour is soured with the sourdough starter for a sufficient length of time and warm enough to get the full health benefits. Plus you get good benefits with texture. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about sifting. Uh, I have a sifter here. Got so many props today. So, um, Marilee said, how do you make all-purpose flour at home, including sifting some of the bran out? 
Uh, Janika said, what would be the easiest way or even the benefits of sifting the ground flour for recipes that require softer flour? And Renee G says, to sift or not to sift? When to sift? Okay, let's answer that. So freshly milled flour, as you saw when I weighed it out, is pretty fluffy. But if it's the whole grain, which it generally is when you're running it through a mill, it still has those um, denser, heavier parts, like the bran. And so if you're doing a recipe that's pastry-like or just turns out too heavy, absolutely you can sift. This is the home sifter we have. It's an eight cup and it's very simple. You put the flour in and you turn the hand crank and you'll collect sifted flour below. And inside here will be your <clears throat> coarser ingredients like the bran. And this has a huge, huge um, impact on lightening up your baked goods. Home sifted flour is not as severely sifted as uh, all-purpose flour you'd purchase at the store, so you're actually getting more health benefits with your home sifted flour than you are with all-purpose flour. This is not the same as all-purpose. What you've done is just lightened it up a little bit so it'll perform better in your finer baked goods, okay? I also wanna point out that well, actually, I'll address that with the next question, <clears throat> because the next question is, my bread is too heavy, what can I do? This is from Aubrey Kay. She said, we've been baking sourdough with white flour, organic unbleached, but I'd really, really love to own a mill and grind at home. I hear ya. We just aren't crazy about whole wheat taste and texture, but if the nutrition is truly higher, then we'd be willing to experiment and adjust our tastes. There are so many milling options as well, it's confusing to know which one would be right for us, baking a loaf maybe once per week, more during the holidays as gifts, etc. All right, so Aubrey, um, we're gonna be talking about my choice of mill in a moment here, the mock mill. So I'm gonna leave that part of your question and just address the part that you and your family are not crazy about the whole wheat taste and texture. Because it's true, whole grain taste and texture do take some adjustment. You do have options though, and I'm gonna go through some tips here to um, improve your experience. Some tips for you. First, fresh ground flour tastes way better than store-bought flour. So if you're basing your experience on whole wheat flour that you've purchased at the store, uh, depending on how long it sat there, which if it's any older than three days old, the fat in it could be going rancid and longer it's even worse. So there's a bitter taste, a not so good taste with store-bought whole wheat flour. So just milling it at home is gonna improve your experience with whole, the whole wheat taste and texture. Second, you do need a mill that can make fine flour, and the mock mill is one example of that. One that I've owned in the past is an impact mill, the Nutramill. Uh, episode 97 is where I go through all the mill types, and I've landed on the mock mill because it does really fine flour, it's cool to the touch, and it also is more versatile than the impact mills because you can crack grains in it as well. Okay, third tip. You could switch to using lighter flavored and lighter textured grain. So you mentioned whole wheat. Well, there's a variety of wheat that is lighter and sweeter, and that's white whole wheat. Um, if you are like us and prefer to use ancient grains, what, like einkorn, einkorn is the oldest flour of wheat. Modern wheat has been hybridized to the point where sensitive individuals um, have issues. I am one of them. Um, I get a recurrence of seasonal allergies if I consume modern wheat, whereas ancient grains do not do that to me. Uh, and there's other kind of symptoms as well with sensitive individuals. But what I love beyond the health benefits of using an older form of wheat is, and by the health benefits, I mean particular things like my, my seasonal allergies, um, but there's gentler starch and gentler gluten. 
so easier on the digestive system. So besides those health benefits, I find that ancient grains like spelt or einkorn are lighter and fluffier and you get better results, more pastry-like even than using hard red whole wheat. That is heavy and dense. Okay, so switch out the type of grain you're using could have a huge impact on the experience of that whole wheat uh, taste and texture that you don't like. And finally, as I just mentioned, if you try all those things and your family still is having trouble adjusting, sift. So sifting can really help as well. So those are four tips there to help you with, um, you know, the taste and texture of whole wheat and items being, and being too dense. Now, I know a lot of you have questions in your, if you've experimented at all, experimented at all with bread baking. Um, so, you know, there's other issues having to do with bread baking, sourdough especially, like is it warm enough for the sourdough to work? Has the sourdough gone, has the souring been long enough but not too long? Um, is your dough, do you have too much flour in your dough or not enough flour in your dough? So those are other issues to work through as well. And I have previous Ask Wardies on those. I also have lots of information on that within our classes. So I'm not going to go into all those as well. I'll just point you in that direction. Okay, uh, next question. This is from Helen again. And this is really a recap from part one, the basics of this series. But I thought it was important to go over here since we're talking about using fresh ground flour. She's saying, how quickly do grains degrade once milled? Is it bad to grind ahead and store in the freezer? So she's asking about the storage of your fresh ground flour. So fresh ground flour, if you're not doing the milling on demand like we try to do, and that I mentioned Julie from um, Ancient Grains does, then fresh ground flour, you've got three days at room temperature. You've got refrigeration for up to seven days, and you've got freezing up to six months. And the same kind of guidelines follow if it's sprouted grain flour. So that's how you store um, store freshly milled grains. Next week, in part four of this series, I'm going to show you the particulars of grinding sprouted flour as well as um, just other specialty and fun uses of your grain mill. This is a question, though, about using sprouted flours in baking. Janet says, do you treat sprouted flours differently when baking, i.e. need less, more hydration, longer rising times? Great question. Sprouting is one of the traditional grain prep methods that I just went over. And yes, sprouted flour does behave differently. Um, the process of sprouting uh, is very effective in like pre-digesting and pre-breaking down gluten, in gluten grains obviously. And so therefore there's not as much gluten to provide good structure in your baked goods. So overall they tend to be more crumbly and more fragile. So binding ingredients are really important in recipes with sprouted flour. So eggs um, or egg substitutes are very important. I would suggest that you uh, follow recipes that are written for sprouted flour or you follow ours. Um, this, is a, this is a recipe that we have in our uh, einkorn baking e-course and e-book for these sprouted einkorn cookies. I love using sprouted flour for two reasons. One is that because the, the, the traditional prep method of sprouting has already been done on the grain, you can use the, the flour instantly in recipes. You don't have to soak or sour because the sprouting's already done that preparation. The second thing is there are certain recipes like cookies where there is no liquid in the recipe. So how would you soak it or sour it anyway? So um, you can take recipes like just 
you know, grandma's recipe with white flour and white sugar, and you can use sprouted flour, provided there's sufficient eggs in the recipe, you can use sprouted flour and like an unrefined sugar and make her cookies with your better ingredients and they generally turn out. So I love using sprouted flour that way. So to answer your question, I'm gonna say you gotta expect that it be more fragile. The recipe has to have um, good binding ingredients like eggs. Um, it's great to just swap out for you know grandma's old recipes and if you're talking about kneading or in a loaf bread, you're not going to get the same gluten development, so you may not need to knead as much. If you need too much, you'll end up breaking the gluten. So um, don't expect the same results, but you can get very good results, okay? Take some trial and error. Now, uh, Michelle is asking, is fresh ground flour, which this would be an example, is it as fine as store-bought flour? Great question. She says, it hadn't crossed my mind that you could mill your own flour, so I guess my questions would be, what equipment do you need? Can I use what I already have at home or do I need special equipment? How long does it take to do? Are the results the same as what you would normally buy or is there a difference in the texture, quality, or fineness? Is it complicated or time consuming? Well, I have really good answers to all of those questions. Uh, the fineness and the results do largely depend on the mill you're using. The mill that we use now is this mock mill. Um, it's a home stone grain mill. Stone grain mills have been um, hard for home bakers to use for some time because of the price point. It just was really expensive. So this is actually a high quality affordable stone mill that makes very fine flour. The mill I used previously to that was the Nutri-Mill, which is an impact mill. Again, you'd wanna look at episode 97 for the particulars of those mills. Uh, the impact mill does not crack grain, so it's not as versatile as this. So I do prefer using the stone because you have the added versatility of cracking. Um, but both of the impact mill and the mock mill, the stone, are going to get very fine flour. Um, as fine as you would get in a store. It's really, really wonderful. Bakeries are using this mock mill to make their fine baked goods, so it's amazing. Um, before that, I used a Vitamix, which is a high-powered blender. I used the dry container, and it really doesn't matter um, how I finesse the process, which I did finesse to get as good a flour as I could, but I, would, I, I, would, I didn't get fine flours I would have liked, so it's not fine. So your high-powered blenders like Vitamix, um, Blendtec are not gonna give you the fine flour. So that's the answer to the equipment you would need to get as fine a flour as you would get in a store. Okay, and again, episode 97 has all the particulars on the mill types. As you can tell, uh, my favorite is the mock mill. Here is the mock mill standalone unit. You can see it's very attractive. It has a low profile. As I showed you earlier, you can just mill on demand the flowers that you need. Um, I also borrowed this KitchenAid from my neighbor so I could show you the mock mill KitchenAid attachment. And let's uh, do a quick example of that. Let me get my grain out again. The main difference you're gonna notice between the KitchenAid and this mock mill really is that the KitchenAid is slower. And I did do a web class with Paul LeBeau from Mock Mill last week, and he pointed out that to his discerning eye, he could tell that the flour from the KitchenAid was just a little bit not as fine, okay? But most people would not notice. And I've got some here that I did already, and I've got some here. I really, there's not a discernible difference. So basically it's that it's slower. Uh, it's great because people with small space, they could, 
you know, just capitalize on investment they've already made. Or if there's a family that's doing both gluten and gluten-free milling, if they already have a KitchenAid, they could have a standalone that does one type, and they could uh, put the mill attachment on the KitchenAid for the other type and then get um, definite separation of grains. Okay, so let me show you how this one works. It just fits in the attachment spot. I have it on the finest setting, and um, I'm gonna put the grain in here. You can adjust or add as you go. Actually, I'm gonna start by just turning it on. them about this the like what speed of this to use really if you go faster you will grain you'll grind your grain faster but it's gonna get hotter so if you want to cool to the touch flour you know and you have the time you can mill it um, just by having it kind of on a reasonable setting there so that's how the mock mill both the KitchenAid attachment and this work I just love it because finally we have an affordable stone mill option, which in my opinion, the stone mill is the best milling option for home bakers. It's versatile, the healthiest, and the finest flour results. And I love it that it's affordable. And the mock mill is made in Germany by Wolfgang Mock. He's been doing this for 40-some uh, years uh, in, the, in the stone milling field. Uh, most of this, or 70% of the stone mills um, are made by him in his career. So he's bringing us this affordable stone mill. It's fantastic, it's affordable, it has a six year warranty and there's free shipping in the US. Um, and I could go on, so I'm only gonna say two more things about it. One is that they give you two free eBooks with your purchase. By the way, tradcookschool.com slash mock mill is where you can check it out. So they give you a guide to like farms and where to get whole grains quality organic whole grains and how to use the, the mill. They also give you an ebook full of wonderful recipes for whole grain flour. Some of ours are in there. Um, the second thing I want to tell you is that if you do decide to purchase the mock mill for a limited time, I'm throwing in two of our ebook and video packages. It's a total of $128 um, in value for you. And it's our um, sourdough A to Z and einkorn baking ebooks. So it's the ebook, a bonus ebooklet that comes with each, and a whole bunch of videos that kind of show you some of the techniques and recipes in those ebooks. So that's for a limited time with your purchase of the mock mill. I love this mill, so I wanted to make it like a no-brainer for anybody who's like considering a home milling purchase. Pick this one, it's the best one, and I'm throwing in those bonuses. So what you do is you go to tradcookschool.com slash mock mill, make your purchase, and then go to tradcookschool.com slash mill bonus, all one word. You'll need your receipt number for mock mill and you put your name and email in and then submit that and then I'll give you access to the, to the two eBooks that I'm throwing in. Okay, so we have covered so much today, haven't we? It's been fun. I hope that you, like us, love um, Milling with fresh ground flour. These chapatis are just one example of the things that we make all the time. I'm gonna be making up more of these uh, tonight because we're planning to have them for, and by the way, these are leftover and they're still great, just heated up on a dry skillet. But I'm making more and our daughter's making more to contribute to our Thanksgiving meal. We're gonna have, um, we're gonna cut them into wedges and use them to dip in hummus. It's gonna be delicious as a kind of pre-Thanksgiving um, appetizer. We're also gonna serve it with our dinner. So just to review everything, um, askwardy.tv 
Look for episode 99. We'll give you everything that I've shared here today, which has been a lot. So bookmark it or hit the PDF button if you'd like a transcript to save to your computer. Um, tradcookschool.com slash mockmill, M-O-C-K-M-I-L-L, to check out the mockmill, either the KitchenAid or the standalone units. tradcookschool.com slash millbonus, M-I-L-L, bonus, all one word, to claim your bonus when you do purchase. I also have addition, additional links for you to our other parts of this series, the basics on grain milling, how to do gluten-free grain milling. Um, last week I did a web class with Paul from Mock Mill where we just shared stories and how much we love fresh ground flour. Paul had a couple really cool recipes embedded in there. One was for a yeast water that can sub for sourdough starter. He also shared another, which is his pancake pot. He keeps this pot in the fridge and he just refreshes it with egg and whatever flour he's grinding. And then he always has dough or batter ready to make pancakes for his kids, which they love. He shared that in the web class as well. So you can check out that link um, at the notes or with this video. Uh, if you'd like a free recipe from me, our einkorn, our no need einkorn sourdough bread recipe, um, you'll find a link to that. It also shows you instructions for making your own sourdough starter with einkorn and then using it in the bread recipe. It's really easy, no kneading, total of 15 minutes hands-on time for the best bread you'll ever eat. We certainly think so. There's a link to the scale that I recommend and the sifter and a cups to grams converter. So lots of information there for you. Uh, it's been a labor of love putting this together for you. So I hope that you are benefiting from it and that really this Fresh ground flour is going to transform your family's uh, dinner table, bring lots of joy and smiles and healing from using fresh ground flour in your homes. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining me. God bless you and happy Thanksgiving. Love you all. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me today. Here's what to do next. Ask Wardy wouldn't be possible without your questions, so please keep them coming. If you're on Twitter, tweet me at TradCookSchool with your question and use the hashtag AskWardy or send an email to Wardy at AskWardy.tv. To get the show notes, links mentioned, video replay, or even to catch up on past episodes of AskWardy, go to AskWardy.tv. To join the fun of the live video recording, be sure to follow me with the handle at TradCookSchool on the Periscope app or go to periscope.tv slash tradcookschool. We record live on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific. That's 1 p.m. Eastern. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the Podcasts app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Ask Wardy while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop or laptop, go to tradcookschool.com slash awitunes right in your browser. And while you're there, please leave a rating or review. I love to read your comments and your feedback makes it much more likely that others who are interested in traditional cooking will find Ask Wardy too. Thanks so much. God bless you. And I'll see you next week.